was traveling, and he asked me to bring the Mother's Day message. And I appreciate that because I am a mother. Um, and as I said earlier, I think it really does enrich your lives in ways that you didn't anticipate. I appreciate a couple of the mothers here sharing their thoughts about it this morning. Um, but one of the things I want to start with is the different kinds of mothers that there are. Because we tend to think of Mother's Day being mothers who have given birth to children. But there are other mothers, too. Um, I want to welcome the people who are watching us on Facebook. And I want to, to say to those who've suffered miscarriages, to those who weren't able to bring their children to term, you're a mother. And there are those of us who believe that you're going to see those children someday. They'll be waiting on you, so that's pretty awesome. There are other, other people who become mothers who don't actually give birth to those children. They, they adopt them. I have a number of friends who have adopted children um, internationally. And some of them worked for a couple of years or more to have those children come join their families. And it never fails to amaze me that they have a picture of a child, but on the day that they meet that child, they're overflowing with love for them already. And that's just amazing. And it's wonderful. Um, and there are people who adopt children who don't actually have to look outside their families. Barry and I both have relatives who have taken children in from, they were born to other people in the family, but through some bad decisions, um, things happened. And those children were going to be taken away and put into, you know, foster service or service or something like that, and they wanted them to stay in the family. And so somebody stopped up, stepped up and said, I'll take them. And sometimes it was more than one. And they raised them, adopted them as their own. And I really admire that, especially if you already have children of your own and you bring some more in. So that's, that's a mother. Um, there are people who are mothers at work. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but there's always that, that one woman who, like, is the mother, and everybody goes to her when they have questions or they have concerns, and she helps everybody. That's a, that's a, that's a type of mother. Um, there are also mothers in the faith. You know, there are women who have influenced me, and I'm sure that they have influenced you, with their walk of faith and the things that they have done. There are women who are mentors in the church. And, you know, just in general, there are women who step up and become mother figures within a church. And so I appreciate that. I always felt that Miss Debbie was that. And so that was a really important influence on me. And so I just, I just want to give a shout out to all the different kinds of mothers that we actually have on Mother's Day. And don't just limit it to the people who have given birth to children because mothering is something that comes from within. And it doesn't have to just be there because you've had a child. So, um, but one of the things that I always think about of the mothers that I know, most of them want there to be peace and happiness within their families. And I think that's pretty common. Um, and mothers also feel like when there are problems, they need to step up and fix them. I don't know. That maybe that's just a female thing. 
We feel like I should be the fixer. And I do believe that God has created us to be problem solvers. And, you know, that's okay if you have a situation like somebody who may be in this room who threw a rock and hit his brother in the head and kind of knocked him out a little bit. Mothers can probably take care of that. You know, you, you, there's going to, there might be some yelling and, you know, taking care of that. But generally, we can take care of those kinds of problems. But what happens when is a problem that you can't solve? Mothers run into those things, right? And so do fathers. What if it's a breach of trust? What if it's a grown child or a relative who's making some really bad decisions? How do you deal with that? And so that's where God comes in. Uh, Barry gave a really good offering today because it really tied very well into what I'm talking about. But God is in the restoration business. You know, he wants to restore our lives. He wants to restore our families. He wants to restore the things that have become broken or divided or where there's strife. And if you think about it, the Bible, this book is a book of restoration. I mean, that's what it is. It's all about restoring our relationship with Heavenly Father. Um, it's about getting the authority in the earth back to us, taking it away from the devil that stole it from Adam and Eve. This book, the Old Testament, is trying to get it lined up so that Jesus comes into the world. And then we have Jesus, and we have the story of what he did for us. But you know what? It's along the way, there are so many stories of restoration. And if you stop and think about it, God is pointing out to us from the very beginning how much he cares for us and how these stories and these lives are so important to him. Relationships are extremely important to, to God. Um, bless you. And the word restore is used a lot in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see it a lot um, when it's talking about to restore Israel to restore Jerusalem. We see things where he's is, is talking about res the restoration of physical ailments. Um, also, in the law, is talking about how to restore something where somebody did something bad to you, how you can be restored and made whole. Um, we know that God can restore our bodies because we've all, I think probably every person in this room has been healed of something. So we know that he can restore our bodies. Um, he can also restore our finances. You know, uh, some of us can testify about that too. Yep, you know, I was in a bad spot. I had made some bad decisions. God restored my finances. But he can also restore our relationships, and that's what I want to talk about today. Um, how much God cares about our relationships. So we're going to start with the scripture that everybody here knows by heart. You don't actually have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's John 3.16. You know, I marked these in my Bible, but I got so many marks in my Bible that I can't really tell which one's which. Okay, so I'm going to read John 3.16 and 17. And I'm reading out of the New American Standard, so it might be worded a little differently from yours. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. That the world should be saved through him. That's restoration. God was all about restoration. And he gave his son. I mean, the two mothers who stood up today, they both had sons. I have a son. I can't even wrap my head around being willing to sacrifice my son for other people. I mean, wow. Um, that is, that's an amazing picture of restoration, how important it was for God, how much he loves us. And I know sometimes because John 3.16 is used so much, we're like, oh, yeah, everybody knows John 3.16, but do you really know John 3.16? Do you really understand the depth of what's discussed in John 3.16? Because if you just stop and think about it, it is an amazing picture of love. And he did this so that our relationship with him would be restored. Because until Jesus came, we couldn't have the relationship that we have with him and that we enjoy with him now. We couldn't have done that. Jesus took all of our sin. And he paid the price for all of us so that our spirits could be clean if we accepted Jesus and that we could stand before him and that we can go to him, and he can be our father, and he can be our friend. And if we have problems, we can talk to him about them, and he will help us. Jesus made all of that possible for us. And so I want to talk about restoration today. Um, I want to talk, first of all, about a couple of people from the Old Testament. I, want, I, I think I'm going to start with Joseph. I've always found the story of Joseph interesting because Joseph, bless his heart, he just, didn't, he just didn't keep his mouth shut, did he? I mean, he just wanted to tell people about these great dreams he was having, which were awesome, but his brothers got really jealous. And so, you know, eventually they sold him into slavery. And if you think about that, we always have a lot of sympathy for Joseph, obviously, because that was a terrible thing to have happened. But from God's standpoint, God needed to get him to Egypt. God needed to get him to be the second most powerful person in the world. Well, how are you going to do that if you're just in your father's household? So everything that looks like it was a step backwards was actually a step forward. So yes, he goes, and then he gets thrown in jail. Well, that's terrible. You know, he's in prison for all those years. But then in one day, he goes from the prison to being number two in Egypt. In one day. So did God forget about him? Absolutely not. But he was positioning him all the way. So Joseph does what he's supposed to do, and then eventually his family comes, and they need food. And through them visiting and trying to get food, his family is put back together. Joseph is restored. His family is restored. It's a great picture of restoration in the Old Testament. And I don't think that I'd ever really looked at it that way until recently. It was just like, oh, yeah, Joseph had to be there to save, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but also, God didn't have to bring his family over there, but he did. And it, and it was so important to Joseph. If you read about how, how he cried because he was so happy to have his family again, that is a great picture of love. That's great restoration. So...
Um, another one I want to talk about is Moses. Um, Moses, adopted, right? He was adopted because his mom put him in a basket and Pharaoh's daughter saw him and kept him. And so he was raised in Pharaoh's household. And the thing is, he probably grew up knowing that he was Jewish, but he was in Pharaoh's household. So he really didn't fit in either part of society, did he? Because in the household, they'd be like, yeah, but you know, you're not really one of us. Then you go out around the Israelites who were the slaves, and they go, yeah, you're not really one of us. So one day something bad happens, and he runs. And he finds himself like on the backside of the desert tending livestock. And I've often wondered if Moses wondered if he would ever get back to his people because he was away from them for all those years. And then God comes and uses him to free his people. It wasn't an easy process, but he was restored. And he helped his people be restored. And he was instrumental in getting them to the promised land, which is something that God had promised, and it was another type of restoration. So if you think about it, God really likes restoration. It doesn't happen as quickly as we often hope that it would, right? I mean, we would like for it to be like, snap your fingers and we're all done. Obviously, it was a lot slower for Moses and it was a lot slower for Joseph. But when we move to the New Testament, it gets a little different. So if you would, turn to Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 18. And this whole chapter is just like one restoration after another. If you read through this chapter, you're going to see so many examples of God restoring people and their families. So starting in 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, there came a synagogue official, bowed down before him saying, your daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and began to follow him and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I shall get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he began to say, depart. The girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been put out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And this news went out over all the land. So this is Jairus. And Jairus comes to him and says, my daughter's at the point of death. I think that's the way it's written in the, um, in the King James. And you can come and you can save her. So he had faith that Jesus had what it took to save his daughter, right? And so then his servant comes and says, well, actually, she died. And Jesus, in um, another part in the Bible, basically says, don't doubt. Have faith. It's going to be okay. And so while he's on his way to go restore Jairus' daughter, this other woman interrupts. And she's had a hemorrhage or issue of blood for 12 years. And she's been to every doctor she can think of. It's only gotten worse. 
And so she comes and she touches the hem of his garment and she's made well. And so then Jesus continues to Jairus' house where he lays hands on the girl, tells her to get up, and she gets up and everything's fine. So let's talk about those two different restorations right there. Let's talk about the first one, the woman with the issue of blood. One of the things that we don't often think about is how in society back then, if you had a medical issue like that, you were not supposed to be out in public. She was very limited in what she could do. And, I mean, she could get punished very much if she was found outside. And think about what her life must have been like. Must have been horrible. She couldn't do anything. Um, You know, she couldn't do the equivalent of going to the grocery store or hanging out on the corner and talking to her friends. But when she was healed and she was made whole, think about the restoration that took place in her life. Think about the change. It must have been enormous. It's like, I can go do normal things now. How awesome that would have been. And all because she had faith enough just to touch his garment, and she got healed. And her whole life was restored. And so then he goes on to Jairus' house, and I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a child. Think about how horrible the family was feeling because in their eyes, this child was dead. And he's like, oh, no, 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 she's just sleeping. And then she gets up and she's, she's fine. Think about the restoration in that family. I mean, it was just like Jesus was a walking restoration factory, right? I mean, he really was. It's like everywhere he went, he restored people's bodies, but he also restored their families and their relationships. Because if your body, if your body has been very sick, if it's been very, if it had a problem that you weren't able to solve and Jesus came up and touched you and fixed it, think about how that's going to change your life and your family's lives. It's, it's going to be really amazing. So then turn to Mark 7. We're going to start in verse... 24. And this is the story of a mother. It says, From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. Excuse me. I think it's interesting that Jesus was trying to slip in, basically. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, which basically means she was from Syria, but she was living in Phoenicia. She kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. Children meaning Jewish, the Jews. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Now, I'm guessing this mother had done everything she could think of in her power to heal her daughter, get her daughter free from the unclean spirit that was in her. And she knew that Jesus was Jewish, and she was not. But she also apparently had faith that he could heal her daughter. Because it said, 
she kept asking him. She didn't ask one time, and when he turned her down, she went away. She kept asking, have you ever known this mother? Anybody here ever coach Little League? Yeah, right. Mothers can be very demanding when it comes to their children. And this mother wanted her daughter to be free. And she knew that Jesus could do it. Um, and it's interesting because he actually pretty much called her a dog. You know? And he, she didn't miss a beat, did she? She came back with it and said, you know what? Because even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he was like, you got faith. And he likes faith. And so he said, your daughter's been made healed. So she went back and her daughter was healed. Now think about the restoration there. Her daughter has basically had a demon spirit in her and had been doing bad things because of that. So she goes back, and her daughter is normal. There's a lot of restoration right there. And they can move forward with their lives, because until then, you just know that this mother's life had been stopped because of what was going on with her child. And she wanted, she wanted it gone. She wanted it fixed. But she couldn't fix it in her own power. And mothers and fathers often try to fix things, right? Ever tried to do that with a kid? How'd it go? Not, not all that well, right? Because we're very limited in what we can do on our own. We really are. Um, a lot of times we try to fix things from the standpoint of emotion. And that doesn't usually work well. You know, we're angry with our child or we're angry with this family member. You know, we're disappointed in what you've done. Uh, we feel bad. I mean, look what you're doing to me, you know, right? What about me? I'm in this equation too. You're hurting me. Um, so we do what we can with worldly wisdom, but it's extremely limited and it doesn't usually get us very far. But wise women and men know that what they should be doing is praying and asking God to restore a relationship. That's what this mother just did, right? She came to Jesus and she said, my daughter needs to be restored. I'm asking for your help. As parents and as sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and people in the church, we need to do the same thing. We need to ask God to help us because we can't do it on our own. So this woman realized she needed help that she couldn't get from human wisdom. And she didn't stop until Jesus helped her. I'm going to talk, okay, I'm going to move away from stories in the Bible. And I'm just going to say there are a lot of stories that were not recorded in the Bible. I'm sure there were a lot of other stories of restoration. But I'm going to, I'm going to talk about what I'm going to call a tale of two women. And this is from modern time, right now. Um, one of them, when she was a teenager, got into drugs, alcohol, running around with the wrong uh, crowd. Family didn't know what to do with her. 
did not have a mother who was saved, did not have a grandmother who was saved. I'm not really sure exactly how closely, I mean, she was my cousin's first daughter. So I don't know, second cousin? I don't, I don't know how that works. But anyway, family member. Um, so over the years, she had four children, was in jail. The children got divided up among family members so that they would stay in the family. Um, the most recent time in jail, she came out and seemed to be doing better. She was living with her grandmother. And then about three weeks ago, she was murdered. We still don't know all of the circumstances. But, you know, I'm just going to say when you're on the, the family end of something like that, you don't get a lot of information from, from the police. But I don't know if she was back into drugs or whatever. They actually did an autopsy. We don't know if they found drugs in her body. We don't know. But she didn't have anybody who was praying for her because her mother and her grand, well, her grandmother is saved now, but she wasn't saved when she was younger. She didn't have anybody. I'm going to contrast that with someone who I've only talked to and never really actually met. It's a person who one of my students this semester used, she did a story on her in my class. Same circumstances, teenager, got into drugs, got into alcohol, was running with the wrong crowd. Her mother said she thought that she was doing drugs, but you know, sometimes they hide it fairly well. But by the time she figured it out, the girl had pretty much already left the house. And so over the years, she tried to maintain a relationship with her. She tried not to judge her or anything like that because she didn't want to break off the relationship. And this woman was saved. And this girl had gone to church when she was younger. But it's just like she just totally forgot all about it. She had um, two or three kids. Um, terrible, terrible ex-boyfriends. One of them beat her so badly, she pretended to be dead. He put her in the back of a vehicle took her to a landfill and shoveled dirt over her body. She waited until he left. Then she got up and she eventually made it to her grandmother's house. Now you would think that that would be enough, right? Nope, wasn't enough. Went back to the drugs. And her mother reached the point where she realized, on my own, I can't fix this. And so she said, that she prayed and she told God, you have to help. I can't do this. You have to help me. And not long after that, her daughter violated her parole and she was sent to Julia Tutwiler Prison. Not exactly the place you want your daughter to be, right? Her, and the girl, when she got there, weighed less than 100 pounds because she had been in drugs and alcohol for so long. 
And, you know, she said it was a really rough place. But she made it through. And while she was there, she remembered something. She remembered Jesus. And she started studying the Bible. And she came out. She's been out clean now for, I think, two and a half years. And she has a job. And she actually goes around and speaks to young women to try to help them. And you know what the difference is between those two girls? It was their family. It was that one of them had a mother who so wanted her family to be restored that she cried out and she asked for God's help. And it didn't come the way that she thought it would when her daughter got sent to Tutwiler. She was afraid she was going to die in there. But that's not what happened. What happened was she remembered how she was brought up. And she went back to it. And she is, she's doing well. You know, and I wish that it had been the case with my relative. But it wasn't. And I'm just going to say that as a mother, one of the best things that you can do is to pray for your kids. Don't wait until it gets too late either. That's, that's not a good thing. Um, and sometimes the strife and the division that we have in our families, it's not because you've done something serious like you're on drugs or... You know, you've gotten trouble, you're stealing things, or, you know, you have a child who's doing that. Sometimes it's just disappointment. When I was in my early 20s, I did something that my mother didn't like. And my mother was not saved. I got saved when I was in high school at, um, like, a, a revival. And I remember... A couple of days afterwards, she just got real tired of me talking about it. And she basically said, well, how can you even know that that's real? And I realized then, I'm not going to be getting a lot of support for this. So when, when I made a decision to do something in my 20s and she didn't like it, every time I saw her, it just oozed anger toward me, you know? They might, she would make snarky comments. She would... She would just let me know, I'm still really unhappy with you. And you know, after a while, I quit. I went 10 years without talking to my family. You know, things happen in 10 years. My brother got married. He had two sons. I didn't know them. And I would be lying if I said that I prayed every day for my mom to be saved. I did pray for her. But you know, the longer you go without talking to somebody the less you think about them in some ways. But every time I thought about her, it would be like, Lord, I'm not going to be the one to get her saved. You have to bring somebody else across her path to help her get saved. And so when I was moving from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa to, um, to work on my PhD, I decided to call and give her my contact information. And... She was surprised because in all this time, she never reached out to me at all. Um, she was a little surprised to hear from me. 
So I gave her my contact information, and it started a process. And we're good now. But one of the things that I found out after I talked to her a couple of times was that she'd recently gotten saved. And it totally changed her personality. It, it made her into um, not exactly a loving person. I don't know about that. But it, it made her easier to be around. It made her, I don't know. It just, you know, there's some people when they get saved that you can actually see the differences on the outside. I can see differences on the outside. And I really so appreciated that. And um, I, don't, I don't know how to say it other than I really appreciate that God restored that relationship. I really do. Because it's always a good thing to have a relationship with your family. And I missed out on a lot of things. Um, but we're all good now. And I honestly think she loves Barry more than she loves me, but, you know, that's okay. I can live with that. So today I really want to encourage anybody who has strife or division in your family. Um, if you want to go to First um, Corinthians, let's go there. First uh, Corinthians 3. And here Paul is talking to them, and he's saying, you know, you should, you should be more advanced by now. He says, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? I think he makes it clear here that jealousy and strife are not something that we're supposed to have in our families. They're not something that's supposed to be in the church. You know, the church is a family, Right? You know, just like our families and relationships, there can be strife and difficulties within a church itself. Um, and we have some entire denominations that are, have split and are splitting again. And I was a part of a church that ended up splitting uh, before. So, but he's saying that that's, that's according to the flesh. Strife and division is fleshly. Um, and so he doesn't want our families to be marked by strife or anger, jealousy, those sorts of things. He doesn't want you crying all night because your child made a bad choice. He doesn't want that to happen. But in our own power, we can't change anything. We think we can. We keep trying, you know. It's like we're going to keep doing it. And half the time we're doing the same things over again. And, you know, you can't expect things to be different if you're doing it the 15th time. And you can't really change things if you're approaching everything from the standpoint of emotion because emotions don't generally convince anybody to change, right? You can't shout someone into apologizing. Um, you can't shame someone into seeing things the way you do. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can change someone. Um, and one of the things we have to remember is, as the word says, with God, all things are possible. You know, nothing is impossible for him. You can be in a situation where there's so much strife or so much anger or so much disappointment, 
And you'll think nothing can change this, but that is wrong because God can change it if you let him. Um, And so I think restoration is a really important thing to God. And, you know, I challenge you to go through the Word and look at some other well-known incidents from the Bible. And half the time, you will look at it and you'll say, yeah, you know, that's restoration. Because He wants us to have, you know, He wants us to be ambassadors for Him. It's really hard to do that when you have problems in your family because everything you're thinking about, your family is coming to the front. And when you're so consumed with yourself and your family, it's really hard to have enough um, energy and, you know, I don't know, discipline or whatever to actually go out there and work for God because most of your thinking is consumed by what can I do to solve these problems? But to be an effective problem solver, we have to ask for his help. You know, if you've got a problem, you need to talk to God about it and need to ask for his help. Because nine times out of ten, you're not going to anticipate what his, his, his solution is anyway. You know, he's going to do something different. That mom never thought, oh, my daughter going to prison, that'll be the way that he solves that problem. No, that's not what she thought at all. But he can do it. So, um, I think before, uh, before I finish today, I would just like to pray for restoration in families. Um, most of us have something that probably need some prayer, and I, for the people who are, who are watching online, you probably have some things that need prayer also. So just remember, if you ever feel like, I don't, I don't have hope, then you should read some of the stories from the Bible, because they will help you to have greater hope. You can look at those and say, God cared enough to, to fix that. Well, he cares for me too. He cares for my family. So um, let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father God, I just come to you this morning, and I just thank you that you show us over and over how much you love us and that you love us too much to leave us in this position, that you love our families and that you don't want there to be strife and division and disappointment in our families. And so I just lift up every family here, and I lift up all those who are watching online, and I just thank you, Lord, that you have a plan to restore that relationship, that family, that church. And I just ask, Lord, that you would work with them, that these people would come to you and they would use their faith. And they would say, yeah, you can do this, Lord. And I ask you to step into this situation right now. And I just thank you for your great love. I just thank you, Lord, that everything that you do is because you love us. And I thank you that you are basically chasing us down with your goodness. Thank you. 
and I speak into these situations, and I speak restoration, and I speak wholeness, and I speak love, and I call these situations solved by Jesus' love, by God's help, that these families in these situations are resolved. And I give you all the glory and the honor for it. And right now, if, if you don't know Jesus, I, I, just, I just help you right now and just say, just say, I, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And I just come to you and, and ask you to be the Lord of my life. And this is the point, this is the beginning point for the rest of my life. And thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Because this is, this is where life changes. This is where life begins. Because without you, Jesus, there is no life. And I just give you the glory and the honor and all of the praise. And we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you. Amen. Amen. God is good. And, you know, the song we sang where it says, um, God's always been faithful. He always has. It hasn't always looked the way I wanted my life to look, but he's always been faithful. Never, ever failed me. So, all right. Well, thank you for tuning in today. Um, everybody have a wonderful Mother's Day.